Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you need a Bible, please put a hand up and a volunteer is going to bring you one. We want to make sure everybody's got a copy of God's Word. If you do not own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Please take it home. It is yours. And turn to page I didn't put it in this, I think it's 895. But we're going to go to John 13. So in your paper or digital Bible, get to John 13. We're going to start at verse 18. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you know we're doing a little series within the Gospel of John called Facing the Cross, these five sermons where we see Jesus clearly knows. It's the start of Passion Week. He knows what's about to happen. Nobody else does. Everyone else is continually confused by what he's saying what he, directly or what, even what he's alluding to. He's not confused at all. He knows exactly what's going on. So we're in this Gospel of John and a reminder or a primer in case you're new. This is a book of the Bible where a guy who is close friends with Jesus is trying to persuade the reader that Jesus was the promised Jewish Messiah. And so he's not pretending to be unbiased in any way. He's totally biased. Uh, the apostles, almost all of them, gave their life for the message that Jesus was Messiah. And John was the only exception. And it wasn't for lack of trying. They almost all faced martyrdom. They believed it so wholeheartedly. This series is entitled Facing the Cross. Jesus is Facing the Cross, even though we don't maybe realize it. And today's sermon is entitled Judas, Peter, and God's Power. I apologize for not getting the sermon notes out to you. Um, all the various programs on my computer formed a union recently and went on strike this morning. Um, so there's that. But those of you ardent note-takers, just right there in the margins of your Bible in John 13, we're going to do this. Okay. Yeah. Page 895 in the hardback black one. Okay. Starting at verse 18, and I apologize that it's in the middle of a thought if you weren't here last time. We have to go back and read. Jesus speaking. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. And this is a dynamic equivalent. It's trying to help you understand context. In Greek, he just stops. This is so that you will believe I am. Yahweh, the divine name. One of at least seven times the Gospel of John uses this. This is a big deal. Verse 20. I tell you the truth, anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. 
And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Holy Spirit, help us to hear what we are supposed to hear from your word. Holy Spirit, we need your power to get past the uh, cultural tendency to just pursue whatever is happy and what makes us comfortable. God, we're going to need help pressing into this very dark text, this absolutely tragic life that Judas lived. God, help us to receive the warning that we're supposed to receive. And I ask for a confident assurance in my brothers and sisters this morning. God, let them know from the scriptures that they are not Judas. God, those of us who are Judas, give us the mercy of letting us know that we are. Either way, God, seek and save the lost this morning. Glorify yourself this morning. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And God's people said, amen. Jot it down in your margins if you like. Judas' life is a cautionary tale to those who call themselves Christians. It's not a cautionary tale to somebody who claims atheism, right? <clears throat> you get to say there's no God, you get to go do whatever you want. Judas is playing the game. He's physically following Jesus around the countryside. He's repeating what Jesus says as absolute truth. He's healing in Jesus' name when he is sent out. He's the good church kid. He went to seminary. But he doesn't love God. Years ago, a different cautionary tale was told. Whether you saw it or in the theaters back in the day, I'm not going to say what year, because then you have to fess up to how old you are. Or like me, you caught on to Pinocchio in the VHS years. Or whether your child or grandchild is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. We don't really tell stories exactly like this one anymore, but a reminder. Pinocchio might be the most moralistic Disney story ever told. <laughs> The story is, do what your father says and follow your conscience. Which, if your father is godly and your conscience is born of the spirit, that could be good. Otherwise, that could be bad. But Pinocchio gets in with the wrong crowd. And it's really funny, in what we would now call a G-rated movie, he's smoking and drinking, <laughs> running off at the carnival, and, and gets turned into a donkey, if you don't remember <laughs> The point is, it goes really bad when you don't follow what your father says and you don't follow your conscience. That's how a cautionary tale works. But 
Pinocchio is not real. Right? How unbelievably tragic that Judas is real. He's a real man with a real soul who was called by the living God to follow. John didn't say it, but Matthew and Mark recorded a different comment that Jesus made about Judas. That it'd be better for him if he had never been born. You guys ever read that one and tried to wrap your mind around that? What is Jesus saying about Judas' eternity when he says that? Let's get practical with this warning. If you love Jesus, warn other Christians about sin and unbelief. That's not a cute tidbit from Pastor Greg. That's straight out of the scriptures. Look with me, Hebrews 3. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Okay, plural here. Brothers and sisters, hearts. This is the family of faith. Evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. Wow. You must warn each other every day. How often is every day? while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now how on earth are we gonna obey this command from the writer of Hebrews in a world of you do you, and then what's right for me is what's right for me, in a world where you come even desiring to bring godly correction and I just pull out my guns and I blast you. Well, you're a Pharisee. Well, you're a jerk. Well, look at the plank coming out of your eye. So maybe we could agree on something. The most difficult communal commands for the church are gonna require, perhaps for us, maybe, an unprecedented level of trust and love. I'll say that one more time because you guys were either asleep or it was so profound you were just overwhelmed with the thought. Ken can say things to me that almost nobody else can say because we've gone to battle and survived. Gone to battle, survived. Gone to battle, survived. Huge amounts of trust that cannot be built overnight. This is why every trimester of small groups that ends, we turn around and have another one, have another, have another, to get together on a deeper level. Scripture's open, praying deeply, confessing sin. You are probably not gonna feel comfortable warning me against hardness of heart when we've known each other for three minutes. There may be other cultures in the world that can go deep fast. This is not one of them. So 
So when I beg you all August long to sign up for a fall disciple group, I need you to know I'm trying to lay a foundation for you to fight sin in your own life and in the life of other people. It's not some cute thing. Fighting sin isn't cute. It's bloody and it's hard. But it saves your life. Fighting sin is how you know you're not Judas. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. Guys, this is not fun, but we just need to be really clear about what Scripture says. Only God can see the heart. We can theorize, we can use our Bible verses and say, I think this person loves Christ, I think this person... God does know, but the Scriptures are really clear. If you just walk away from Christ at some point in your life, then okay, that was the reality. We, we, we saw it. you walked away and you never came back. There are multiple places in the New Testament that talk about it. There are multiple places that, it, you know, we may have thought that person loved Jesus dearly. Maybe they thought they loved Jesus, but they walked away. And we're not talking about a small season of disobedience. They were gone. A different piece of scripture says they went out from among us because they were never one of us. And that is a tragic reality that there's more than one Judas in the church. Here's a scary question. Did Judas know that he was a Judas? He was responsible to believe what was shown to him. He was responsible to believe what was proclaimed to him about who Jesus was, just like all of us are. Somebody throws the seed of the gospel, somebody else waters it, and God, in partnership with my free will, births faith. Also for Christians, work on your character out of deep reverence and fear. Work on your character, the outflow of the faith that you claim Listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Does Jesus love you? Absolutely. Is God after your greatest joy in him? Absolutely. Is there any other life better lived than one in glad submission to Christ? No way. And yet, the God who created the heavens, the God who is just, the God who is angry at sin, the God who has the power to heaven and hell, he still deserves a deep reverence. Or, let me put it more personally, when I am doing war against sin in my own life, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and the family of faith. I'm living out this Christian life, trying to be a light, to be a loving blessing to the world around me. I should work it out, always not simply enjoying my God, but a healthy fear of Him. And there's no contradiction in that. I promise you, and when Caleb Velibit was three years old, he knew his dad loved him. 
and he knew his dad could take him out if he needed to. <laughs> Love and fear are not contradictory when we're talking about a biblical, healthy respect for authority, a healthy respect for boundaries, a healthy respect for the ultimate father and his kids adopted through the blood of Jesus. If you're new, this is for you. External religious behavior does not make you right with God. I just want you to know this. Giving money to the church, giving your time and energy, even reading the Bible, these things do not reconcile you with God. In fact, doing good things on your own power, your own effort, and then saying at the end of the day, I did enough, the Bible describes that, it calls it self-righteousness and says it's perhaps the greatest stench in God's nostrils. We think we're doing good, but there's nothing more arrogant than saying, God, I am morally sufficient on my own. I did lots of good stuff. Your cross was a waste of time. Judas' life, I hope, scares you. If you're considering the Christian faith, if you're exploring the Bible, you're trying to wrap your head around what the central Christian message is. Judas' life shows you that you could perform miracles in Jesus' name and still go to hell. You could preach the gospel. Like he was sent out, the 12, the 72 were sent out more than once. Judas rightly preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and people got saved under his ministry and he went to hell. The external stuff that Judas did, that did nothing for him. It did nothing to make him right with God. And here, 20 centuries later, you need to know, you go ahead and throw as much money in that bucket as you want, God does not love you more because you gave. You sign up for a mission trip and work hard, God does not love you more and you are not in better standing with him because you gave of your time and energy and passion. He loved you before the foundation of the world because of who he is. It has nothing to do with you. Your child comes out, a boy or a girl, obnoxious, even keel, doesn't matter how your kid comes, you love your kid because that's what parents do. You love your kid. Second, oh, no, I need to prove my point. I'm always, uh, I'm always kind of a coin toss trying to prove my point from Scripture to people who aren't sure yet what they think of Scripture, but here we go. Out of Romans 3, Paul's talking about keeping the rules. Obviously, the law, the rules that God gives, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And those of you who love Jesus, aren't you glad that Romans doesn't stop there? Hey, the whole first covenant, it's not gonna work. The end, bye. 
No, two verses later, he's rejoicing in the cross of Jesus Christ, offering salvation to everyone who would believe. He just needed to do some deconstruction first. Keeping the rules isn't gonna work. One person has successfully kept the rules. His name is Jesus. He kept them for you and handed that righteousness to you when he went to the cross and he took your guilt from you and took that to the cross if you want it. If you want it. Second point today. The cross was not Satan's idea, it was God's. Do you guys know that? It's so easy to read through these texts if we're not careful. John is more obnoxious about it than the other three, but really showing that Jesus was in control. But we can look at the behavior of Satan and go, well, clearly he thought this was his chance to kill God. Look at verse 27. This is crazy. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. Trivia time. Who's the him? Two guys were named in the previous sentence. Satan entered into Judas, and then Jesus said to him. Who's Jesus commanding? What if I told you it doesn't matter? What if I told you that no angel and no human has ever been allowed to do, has ever done evil apart from what God permits? Because he's the creator and we are the created. Satan is arrogant enough to participate in, oh, this is my chance to kill God. I tried to put it into the heart of Pharaoh to slaughter the baby so Moses couldn't deliver God's people. I put it into Herod to slaughter the babies so the Messiah couldn't come. And, and here's, here's, a, here's another chance. I can enter him. There's a doorway with one of the 12. I'll enter him. But I'm so blinded by my arrogance, I can't see that I'm still just a dog on a leash. I'm going to enter Judas like I'm in control of Judas. And then Yahweh says, go do what you're going to do and do it quickly. Who's in charge here? Man, that helps me sleep better at night. I don't know about you guys. Is there a darkness deeper than what we're preparing for? The betrayal the accusation, the false accusations against the God-man. Abandonment, torture, crucifixion, bearing the weight of the sin of the world. Is there anything darker than what's about to happen? And God is still in control. I sleep a lot better watching that. It's Job 1 and Job 2 kind of stuff. Satan's up to no good and he still has to ask for permission. 
There's a little routine in the Kaiser household. Not every morning, but four or five mornings out of seven. I know my son Gabriel likes to eat banana. And I know that I'm lazy and I don't have to prepare anything. I just hand it to him. So lazy father, a son who likes banana, this should be easy, but it's not. Because what is the favorite word of every two-year-old? Yeah, you guys were there. As a default answer to things that he likes. He'll say no to a cookie if you don't give him a heads up that he's about to be offered something he likes. So there's a dance now, many mornings, where dad saunters over to the Keurig. and grabs a banana for himself to have for breakfast. Don't know if you've read the Ten Commandments. One of them is don't touch dad's food, don't even desire dad's food. You should be gracious for what you got. But if I know that my son is going to want the banana every time, he wants the banana that I opened for me, and I know he's going to do it, He's going to come and ask me for the banana because I opened it for me. No eye contact. Nothing. He's, he's watching Mickey Mouse. I'm opening it for me, and he's going to ask for it. Oh, darn. My son asked me for the food I wanted him to ask me for so I could say yes. So I give it to him, and he pounds that thing down. Where does he put it, that little guy? Guys, Gabriel thinks he's in control. your pastor always use his toddler as an example of Satan? No, anyway. Um, you know if the shoe fits. Gabriel, at his capacity and in that moment, believes that he's in control. He made a request that I wanted him to make, and I said yes in advance, knowing I wanted to say yes. but Satan is too arrogant to see it for what it is. This is what cosmic treason is against the Most High. I want to be God. I want to be in charge. So he asked for permission to do terrible things to Job as if it was just his idea and God didn't see it coming. He entered Judas to go do exactly what Yahweh wanted him to do. So what do we do with this reality? Christians, I want to encourage you to start your desperate prayers like this. God, I know you oversee the universe. I am afraid right now. Please help me to give you the trust that you deserve. Anybody been in a desperate place? You have some desperate prayers and you wish you could respond with more faith than what you have right now. Oh God, I, I know in theory that the light is power, more powerful than the darkness, but I just need to feel it right now. It's just so theoretical right now, God. 
The darkness is all I can feel. The darkness is surrounding me. There are psalms that sound this way. We, we should be comforted that David talks this way sometimes. Psalm 22, Jesus talks this way. Okay. Enemies have surrounded me like bulls from the herd of Bashan. And then what is, how does the psalm end? After the crucifixion, there's a resurrection and I exalt my father and I proclaim the goodness of my father to children yet unborn. Christians, start your desperate prayers. God, I know you're in charge of the universe. I'm afraid right now. Help me to give you the trust that you deserve. There's such a big difference, everybody, in having your theology worked out that God is in control but having any tools in your tool belt at all when the darkness comes. Can we agree those are two different things? This is why I feel like somebody's faith is far more trustworthy if they've already suffered. You went through that and you're still following Christ? Well, it shows that person was following the real Christ, not an imaginary one. If you're new, the cross is how God is just and merciful. A just God cannot act like all of our sin and all of our wrongdoing against God, against each other hasn't happened. There's punishment that is demanded, and he is just, but he's also merciful on sinners, and so he stands in the gap and says, I'm going to go to a cross, and I'm going to receive the punishment for humanity. So the punishment is still doled out and mercy is offered freely to you and me. Trust Jesus' death if you haven't already. His death, because he was morally perfect, is a sufficient sacrifice to God. Yours could never be. You're not morally perfect. I'm not morally perfect. I couldn't die for my own sins and ever satisfy God fully and somehow end up in heaven. Like it's just, it's nonsense. If you're exploring faith, the center point of the Christian faith is that Jesus offers you forgiveness of sins by his death on the cross. And you can accept that freely, joyously, humbly, or you can essentially say, nah, I'm, I'm good enough on my own. Those are essentially the options. Third, most of us are not Judas. Most of us are Peter. Most of us are not Judas. Most of us are Peter. And now I'm going to do you dirty. Are you ready? That third point is an entire sermon that I'm going to preach two weeks from now because it takes a lot to unpack Peter. But I just wanted to let you know what's coming. If you know and love Jesus Christ, you have far more in common with Peter than you might think, far more in common than you might hope to admit, want to admit. And an exploration of Peter's life is going to be part of what gives us assurance that we really love God because you see, you could argue that in some ways, Peter did way worse things than Judas at certain moments and at certain times, at least what it looked like, to pub looked like publicly. 
And yet, just like David before him, Peter knew how to repent. And so Peter could have really low lows, but then he could have really high highs. And it's a little bit of what the Christian life really looks like when you do love Jesus deep down. Man, do you fail, you sin, you sin big time. But you love Jesus and the love of Jesus keeps pouring out even through failure. Holy Spirit, would you please do effective work today and this week through this text? God, anything that I said that was from me, that was unhelpful or untrue, let it fall away. Do work in the hearts of individuals and the hearts of this people. Make yourself famous in Citrus Heights, God, and let us be a part of it. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.